I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Psalms and find uh, 13, chapter 13. We're in between uh, books that we're studying right now, having just concluded uh, the book of Hebrews last Sunday. And before we begin a new book to journey through together, I wanted to take some time to share with you a psalm that has been very dear to me. I want to acknowledge at the outset that this sermon idea that I'm going to share with you is not original with me. In my own season of darkness, I heard a message preached from this specific psalm that helped me so much that I knew a day would come with God's help when I would uh, want to share these same things with you, what God has taught me through Psalm 13. And so I want us to look together here at the entire psalm, <clears throat> as I've entitled it, Trusting God in the Dark. Trusting God in the Dark. <clears throat> psalm 13 and verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? <clears throat> How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say, I have prevailed against him, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, we don't know David's specific circumstance here in Psalm 13. We don't know for sure what has happened to cause him this particular season of darkness. Now, I think for us, this is a good thing. Because if we knew for sure why he was feeling this way we might be tempted to push away the psalm if we found ourselves not being able to relate to his specific circumstance. So I think it's good that we don't know exactly what has brought David into this season of darkness. But what we do know is that David was experiencing a season that many of us face at varying degrees. He's dealing with depression, anxiety. Some might even call it the blues. And as we note here in Psalm 13, David specifically sees it as darkness. Darkness. He's asking God to enlighten his eyes. Because all he can perceive is darkness. 
darkness. Now, the thing about darkness is sometimes we can see it coming, right? But more often than not, it takes us by surprise. Perhaps you find yourself in the dark today. The darkness of infertility. The darkness of a difficult marriage. The darkness of a, of a wayward child. Maybe it's the darkness of an emotional collapse that is, frankly, inexplicable. Maybe it's the darkness of a medical condition that just doesn't seem to go away. Then I want you to know that Psalm 13 is for you. Psalm 13 is for me. Frankly, it's for all of us. Because whether you find yourself in the dark today or not, there have been times or there will be times when you will wake up and all you feel is this encompassing darkness. It's a psalm that teaches us how to trust God in the dark. It's easy to trust God in the light. But this is not about trusting God in the light. This is about trusting Him when the lights go off. When you can't even see to take one step in front of the other. Let's, let's see it together. Number one, I, I just see His condition. His condition, verses 1 and 2, four times, four times in verse 1 and 2, he asked the question, how long, how long? It's a question that we ask, isn't it? We went to see my wife's uh, mother uh, yesterday for her birthday. They live in Laurenburg. I cannot tell you the number of times. Voices from the back seat cried out, how long, how long, how much longer? And that was just coming from my wife. <laughs> no, no, no. How long? How long? He's saying, how long am I going to experience this? How long am I going to feel this way? It's obvious that this darkness David was experiencing was something he was confronted with all day, every day. All day, every day. Now we say time flies when you're having fun. But it seems that it's equally true that time drastically slows down when you're in a season of darkness. Am I ever going to come out of this? A question that I have asked too many times. Am I ever going to come out of this? At the heart of this is David's emphasis on, on how he feels. He feels that God has forgotten him. He feels that God is upset with him. He feels 
that God has abandoned him. Look at it there in verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Church, David feels this way. Now our feelings often lie to us. It's why we cannot allow wrong feelings to govern our lives. Don't follow your feelings. I feel this is right. We cannot allow wrong feelings to govern our lives. You see, what David feels here is not true. God hasn't forgotten him. God hasn't abandoned him. He may feel this way, but it's not true. But it's often in our moments of darkness that we give our feelings the loudest voice. Is that true of you? true of me in those seasons of depression and anxiety and darkness it is often that the loudest voice is the voice of what I feel rather than the voice of what I know to be true and we see this throughout the scriptures I I give you one example Isaiah chapter 49 Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 14 Zion, Israel, Israel had said, verse 14, the Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. And here's how God responds to that in verse 15. Israel said, God forsook us, God God abandoned us. But God said, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Oh, you may forget, but here's what God says, I will not forget you. Look, he says in verse 16 of Isaiah 49, look, I have inscribed you, I have written you, I have tattooed you on the palm of my hands. God hasn't forgotten you. He can't forget his children. He can't abandon those who belong to him. A beg, beg illustrates it like this, which I think is so good. God's care for his children is like the sun. The sun is, is constant, constant, never goes away. The clouds may obscure it, but it doesn't mean that the sun isn't there. No, it's always there. And in order to see it, we gotta, we gotta get above the clouds. We gotta come out of the dark, right? And that's how it is with with God's care for our lives. We may not feel that the sun is there. We may not feel that God is with us, that that God has forgotten us, that God has abandoned us. But he's been there the entire time. The season of darkness, not only has David experiencing irrational thoughts and feelings, But he's also overwhelmed with sorrow and anguish. Look at it there again in verse 2. How long shall I take counsel in my own soul, having sorrow in my heart every day? 
How long will my enemy be exalted over me? This is the battle that seasons of darkness bring to our mind and our emotions. It consumes every part of us. David David feels like that, that at any given moment of the day, he's on the brink of tears. And sometimes not even knowing why he's crying. I mean, the smallest little thing can trigger this outburst of emotion. He's on the brink of tears. He can't eat. His mind is going 100 miles per hour. Why is this happening to me? How do I make sense of all of this? Why do the enemies of God seem to have better circumstances than me? And again, how long will this go on? I mean, every day, every day he's asking this. Every day he's consumed by this. He's thinking irrationally. And now every day he is saying things to himself that further reveal his anguish and sorrow. Now, some fight this more than others. Darkness and depression may be a constant battle for you. Some of you, like me, have to live your life learning how to manage, manage things such as anxiety, discouragement, depression. Now others hardly have trouble with it at all. I, I've, I've learned through my experiences that personality has a lot to do with this. For instance, extroverted people tend to superficiality. There's this danger in the extroverted personality, the one who's constantly outgoing almost to not be really who they are. That even when they feel down, there is this nature that I've got I've to put on this personality. So, so extroverted people tend to superficiality. They may always be smiling even though really deep down inside they're not. So, so it's superficial. Introverted people like myself, have more of a tendency to morbid introspection. In other words, some, as my great Winnie the Pooh analogy, some are tiggers, you know, jumpy, clumpy, bumpy, thumpy, fun, 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 fun. Some are Eeyores. Some, some, well, should I say this? I'm going to go for it. Some don't identify with E or, or Tigger. They identify with Winnie the Pooh sitting around all day with no pants on with their hands stuck in a honey jar. You read my notes. That's not in there. Maybe I should have ran that one by you first. No, it's, it's, it's true though, isn't it? So much of these episodes that we experience, I am learning, it comes from personality. Some of us are Eeyores. 
So, so personality can be a definite player, but, but there are a number of other factors that contribute to seasons of despondency and darkness. How about when we are overly tired and exhausted? The physical dimension that leads to a season of darkness. That's something I have to really watch out for me myself. In fact, this afternoon I had to cancel something that I was supposed to be a part of. Because I've not had a day off in two weeks. And I can feel myself leaning on empty. And I have learned what I didn't know two years ago. That I can't push that at 40 years old anymore. Or my mind spins into even a brief season of darkness. I have to force myself to rest because physical, physical dimensions, when we are exhausted, when we are overly tired, can have a tendency to lead us to despondency. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who not only was a great preacher but also a medical doctor, Anything that you ever see by Martin Lloyd-Jones, you need to read it. In fact, probably one of the best books I ever read was the biography of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, you cannot isolate the spiritual from the physical, for we are body, mind, and spirit. The greatest and the best Christians, when they are physically weak, are more prone to an attack of spiritual depression than at any other time. And, of course, he adds here there are great illustrations of this in the Scriptures. So, so when we are overly tired, when we are exhausted, I think, secondly, when we are undergoing intense spiritual warfare, we can lead into these tendencies. So we have a physical dimension. We have a spiritual dimension. Now, unfortunately, sometimes they all hit at once. Satan's really good at that, by the way. Catching us at our weakest point. Maybe we're exhausted. We're tired. There's, there's the physical. And he says, all right, now it's my turn to add on to the pile. And so spiritual warfare engages into battle that leads us into this type of condition. I wrote down a third thing. When, when we are coming off the heels of great success. So, so what adds to these seasons? When we're tired, when we're exhausted, when we're undergoing intense spiritual warfare, when we're coming off the heels of great success. So, so we have a physical dimension, we have a spiritual dimension, we have an emotional dimension. Look, I'd be lying to you if I didn't face that even this week. Last Sunday, we were packed out to the brim, nearly, nearly 350 plus people here. I mean, we had guests pulling up all service long. We had tons of guest cards, people praying, receiving Christ. My wife and I had invited some people who specifically came. I mean, whoa, what a great high. It was awesome. And then Wednesday, where are you at? Where were you? So, so, so when you have this hills of great success and already emotionally, boom, I'm, I'm ready to quit on Wednesday. Honestly. So, so all of these play into to the game. There's physical, there's spiritually emotional. Piper said this, our worst spiritual and emotional collapses often follow in the wake of our happiest, most victorious experiences. We see that with Elijah, doesn't he? He goes and he defeats the prophets of Baal. And the next thing he says is, God, take my life. I can't do this anymore. And I wrote down, when we are experiencing medical or physiological challenges. So what contributes to this? Okay. 
There's a physical dimension, there's a spiritual dimension, there's an emotional dimension, and then there's a mental dimension to this. Mental health, mental challenges, physiological makeup. There are a host of biblical illustrations of all of this, and there are a host of Christian servants throughout history who have struggled with darkness, sadness, and depression. So what we see about David is no different than what you may experience on a regular basis. He's in the dark. He's in the dark. All right, so we see his condition right down number two, his cry, his cry. His cry comes in verses three and four. Now let me just say that it's very important that David even chooses to cry out for help. He doesn't deal with this in isolation and loneliness, a mistake that I have made too long in my life. Of course, they say silence is golden, isn't it? Especially when you have four kids in the house. But silence is deadly when it comes to our souls sitting in seasons of darkness. Psalm 32 and verse 3 says, when I kept silent, this is actually David speaking again. He said, when I kept silent, when I didn't talk to anybody, when I didn't cry out, when I didn't share what was going on, my bones grew old and I groaned all day long. And I'm not talking about just posting the the, the self-pity on Facebook. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actually crying out, saying, will you help me? I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I cannot deal with this by myself. I need to talk to somebody. And so in our own darkness, we need to cry out. And that does mean talking to others. Some of you are hurting right now, and you've been hurting far too long because you won't come talk to us. You won't come talk to anybody. You've got to learn to talk. Do you know how hard it was for me to go to counseling for the first time in my life? As hard as it is for you to pick up the phone and call me and say, Pastor, I'm hurting. Help me. I understand. But we need to cry out. When we don't cry out, it makes things worse. But most importantly here, it is to cry out to God. To God. It's exactly what Jesus did in his own moment of anguish. Let me read to you from Matthew 26. He, Jesus, took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Please stay here with me and pray. Jesus did this. And so we see David doing it. Look at it there in verse 3. He says, consider and hear me, O Lord my God. He's down. He's depressed. His mind is consumed with questions. His soul is overwhelmed with darkness. He feels forgotten. He feels abandoned. He's questioning the presence of God in his life. And so all of this emotion burst out into a big cry for God to look at him. Consider me. Look at me, God. Please look at me and help me. Notice what it was that David specifically asked God for. The very next verse, he says, enlighten my eyes. Enlighten my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. 
You see, David's darkness had led him to such despondency that he feels as if death is at his door. So I think I'm going to die. Please, God, turn the lights back on. Please turn the lights back on so I can see, so I can make sense of all of this. God, if you don't turn the lights back on, I, I feel like I'm just a step away from death. There is such a thing of people dying from a broken heart. We don't hear about that often. But it does occur. I don't know if that's what David is meaning here. Or if it's just a metaphor reminding us of how the darkness often feels. But it's a prayer that we pray, right? Turn the lights on, God. If I could, if I could just see, then I could make sense of all that's happening to me. Turn, turn the lights on, God. It's too dark. I'm afraid. I, I don't know why this is happening. But, but here's the thing, church, and please get this. He doesn't always turn the lights back on. Now, that's what David's crying out and asking God to do for him. But there is absolutely no indication in the psalm that God does it. No indication. In fact, what we will see here in just a moment is that David's comfort came by the decisions he made while he was still in the dark. God didn't turn the lights on and then David committed to these things. No, David committed these things while he was still in the dark. And maybe that's what God is trying to teach us today. He's teaching us to trust him not with the lights on, but with the lights off. It's the same lesson with our kids, isn't it? We go through our bedtime routines, take your bath, brush your teeth, go get in the bed. We'll come and pray with you, kiss you goodnight. And then as soon as all of that's done, Daddy, will you leave the light on, please? Can you crack the door open, please? Can you leave the bathroom light on, please? Jaden's the perfect kid. He's the one that wants it completely dark, door shut, everything. It's just like, it's magical. But often in our home, the answer is no. No, I'm not leaving the light on tonight. You're getting too old for that. You need to learn to set aside your fear and rest in the dark. You say, Pastor, that's kind of insensitive. Well, that's exactly what God does with us. Remember the old hymn, Christ the Solid Rock I Stand? There's a stanza that says, when darkness veils his lovely face. When darkness hides the presence of God, I rest on His unchanging grace. Again, there's no indication that God answered David's prayer. The only thing that seems to change is David's perspective, not his circumstance. So what did he do? He made a commitment. Here's where we'll close. He made a commitment. Number three, his commitment. Verses five and six. David makes a threefold commitment to God in the dark. To God in the dark. And it was this commitment that became the bridge, if you will, to his comfort. Even if God chose not to turn the lights on. 
This is what he did, threefold. Write these, if you didn't write anything else down, write these three things down. He said, number one, I will trust in your love. I will trust in your love. Verse 5, I have trusted in your mercy. That's what he committed to do. I will trust in your love. Now, now I'm using the New King James translation. It uses the word mercy here. But the Hebrew word here is actually hased. Hased. It's literally translated loyal love. Loyal love or steadfast love. So when we talk about the mercy of God, we're talking about the unfailing love of God, the loyal love of God, the steadfast love of God. What does that mean? Well, David, again, is in the fight of his life. He is fighting against his feelings, his feelings. He feels God has abandoned him. He feels sadness. He feels depression all day long. He can't stop crying. He can't make sense of anything that's happening. He's not even sure he can go on. Yet, in this time of darkness, here's what he says to God. But, but, I will trust in your unfailing love. I don't know what's happened to me, but I'm going to trust that you love me. I can't make sense of this, but I'm going to trust that you love me. I don't know how long this is going to last, but I'm going to trust you. God, you may never turn the lights back on, but I will trust that you love me. By the way, that's not an emotional cry in the sense of he doesn't know what else to say. That, that's a volitional cry, right? A volitional cry. And we know understand the difference. Emotion is... I just want to go take a shower. <laughs> Volitional is, I guess I'm going to go take a shower. I don't want to. I'm tired. I'd rather just go to bed, but I'm, I'm going to make myself go take a shower. That's what's happening here. This is not emotion. Remember, his emotions have overtaken him. He feels emotionally God has forgotten him, that God is not there, that God doesn't love him. So instead of listening to his feelings, he volitionally chooses, chooses to listen to the truth. Now don't mis misunderstand this. What he feels in his heart is absolutely real. It's real. It's real. And perhaps no one can really understand that until they feel that for themselves. To feel something so strongly that it feels absolutely True, that it feels absolutely real. This is all real to David. But now he is fighting his feelings. He's fighting his emotions, not with what he feels, church, but what he knows to be true, that God is there for him, that God has never stopped loving him, and that God's love will carry him through. In our seasons of darkness, we need to bring our emotions underneath the jurisdiction of God's character. What do I know to be true of God? Not what do I feel in this moment. This has been so helpful to me. Because those moments of darkness when my feelings try to rule my mind, I, I do simply cry out, I will trust in your love for me. I will trust in your love for me. I will trust in your love for me. 
You see, it's crucial that in our darkness we affirm the unfailing love for God for us, even when our feelings try to conceal it, that absolutely nothing will separate me from the love of God. I cannot tell you the number of times in the quietness of the week with the lights off in this auditorium and I've just walked up and down these rows for hours just saying, I will trust in your love for me. I will trust in your love for me. No, I'm going, I'm telling you, God, I will trust that you love me even now. That's his first commitment. I will trust in your love. His second commitment is this. I will rejoice in your salvation. I will rejoice in your salvation. Verse number five. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. This is a principle that we've looked at on numerous occasions. Preaching the gospel to yourself. Reminding your soul what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. Rejoicing in the day that God brought you from death to life by his grace. Rejoicing in God's salvation. Remember, this is volitional. It's choosing to rejoice in our salvation, even when we don't feel like it. Again, those moments I've walked up and down these aisles, walking around in my neighborhood, driving down the car, I will trust in your mercy. I will rejoice. I will rejoice in your salvation, Lord. I'll rejoice in that day as a five-year-old boy that I walked down the aisle my Christian school chapel service after hearing a dreadful message on hell and giving my life to Christ. I rejoice in the fact that you allowed me to be born into a Christian home where the gospel is the centerpiece of everything we do. I rejoice in the fact that as a teenager, when I struggled doubting assurance, trying to make sense of all that you've done in my life, I rejoice in that day I laid headlong on my, on my, on my family's bed seeking assurance from you from first john knowing for sure that you've forgiven me i rejoice in these things i rejoice that you became my substitute i rejoice that you died in my place i rejoice that you love me regardless of the sin that's in my life i will rejoice in your salvation paul said in second corinthians i am sorrowful yet always rejoicing think about that Chapter 6, verse 10, 2 Corinthians. I am sorrowful, but I am always rejoicing. Reminding myself of who I am in Christ. Reminding myself of what Christ has done for me. Confessing sin to God, known and unknown, with the confidence of his forgiveness. Preaching the scripture to ourselves that ground us in the truth. Rejoicing in what we know to be true. This is, this is rejoicing in God's salvation. Lamentations three twenty one. This I recall to my mind, therefore I hope. And what is the this that he keeps on recalling to his mind? The very next verse, verse 22. That though the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because his compassion fails not. Great is your faithfulness. All right? David made a commitment. The lights are off. He's in the dark. I will trust in your love. I will rejoice in your salvation. Thirdly, I will sing of your goodness to me. I will sing of your goodness to me. Verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me, because he's been good to me, good to me. David makes this extremely personal, doesn't he? He says, I will sing of your goodness to me, to me. It's not just singing 
of God's goodness to the earth, singing of God's goodness to these, singing to God's goodness in creation. All of those things are true. But no, no, I'm going to sing of God's goodness to me. And it's what we all have to do in our seasons of darkness. Acknowledge the goodness of God to us in all our circumstances. And one of the ways we're to do this, he says, verse 6, by singing. Singing to God. Singing to God of His goodness to us. Yes, singing. I cannot begin to tell you how much singing has helped me in moments of darkness. And again, it's a choice to sing, often against what I'm feeling. At times, it's, it's simply a, a song that I know by memory. You know how I am with songs. Sometimes the weirdest lyrics come up into my mind. I remember a song I learned in children's church, you know, just the other day. It's been forever since I sung this song. I just had it pop in my mind. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I just find myself driving in the truck singing, Jesus loves me, like I'm leading a junior church. At other times, it's simply listening to songs of worship and meditating on those words as they reflect praise to God in my own heart. I wish you could see the faces of the neighbors on my street as there have been times walking down the street and here I am with headphones in my ear crying like a baby and them staring at me. What is wrong with him? I'm sure they think that on most days when I'm out walking around crying that Kathleen has kicked me out of the house again. (laughs) When in reality... I'm just reflecting praise to God in my own heart. Many times, and it's not in public view, but many times I'll actually get my phone out. Apple Music has this really cool thing that if you don't know all the words, you can click this little square in the bottom corner and the lyrics pop up. It's awesome. Did you know that? I'm just catching on to it. So as I'm walking up and down these aisles praying and quoting scripture and saying, Lord, I choose to trust in your love. I choose to rejoice in your salvation and I will sing of your goodness to me. I'll I'll pull up whatever my God ordains is right. And as they're singing it, I'm singing it too. In my darkest hours, singing of the goodness of God has lifted my heart to hope in Him. Some of you need your song back. I mentioned Sound of Music a moment ago. It's fresh. What do you do when you go to the grandparents' house? You watch Sound of Music. My father-in-law pulls it up for the kids on Amazon Prime, and here we are saying it's been years since I've seen it, if I've seen the whole thing at all. It's kind of one of those movies when I was a kid, I'd end it in the first five minutes, you know. Give me some swords and guns. I don't want people frolicking through the woods singing, (laughs) the hills are alive. Take me now. (laughs) But as I get older, I've come to enjoy that sort of thing. Yeah, the captain comes into the house. 
after Froilon Mary has got the kids singing again. And what does he say? Music has returned to our home. Our song has come back. Some of you need your song back this morning. And it begins by singing with us. But then in the quietness of your own time, with God choosing to sing of his goodness to you. I quote Piper again, the greatest song we sing is often the one born in our greatest suffering. Let's say that again. The greatest song we sing is often the one born in our greatest suffering. There's just some songs that we sing together, and you may find me crying when nobody else is crying, but that song was something to me in a very dark moment of suffering. David committed himself to this. His circumstance doesn't seem to change. The lights don't seem to come on anytime soon. He's in the dark, yet he says, I will trust in your love. I will rejoice in your salvation, and I will sing of your goodness to me. I told you Psalm 13 has become a very close friend to me. I walk with it hand in hand often. I've put it to memory. Quote it nearly every day. I've used it with you, some of you, in your own seasons of darkness. Reminding ourselves that even if God doesn't turn the lights on, we can still find comfort as we commit to trust his love, rejoice in his salvation in our lives, and singing, singing of his goodness to us. Why does this need to be a regular part of our life? Psalm 13. Because as that hymn we sing often says, the hymn is, I will sing the wondrous story. Days of darkness still come o'er me. Do you feel that way? But if you don't feel that way, you need to not sing that song next time we sing it. Days of darkness still come o'er me. Sorrow's path I often tread, but the Savior still is with me. By his hands, I'm safely led. When darkness comes, let's ask God to turn the lights on for us. It's okay to ask him to do that. But if not, Let's learn to trust him in the dark.